Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to another season of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. It's great to have you back. This is season five, believe it or not. There's 35 episodes in the bank already if you're new to the podcast and you can have a listen to those. But really, really excited to um, be back with a bang and welcome a great guest. It's Megan McCubbin. Megan is a zoologist and a wildlife TV presenter. I'm sure you're all familiar with her from the likes of BBC Springwatch and This Morning and BBC Earth. So Megan, thanks for coming on uh, finally and having a chat. We've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. It's nice coming on and talking all things wildlife it saves me boring my family so (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah nothing new for you coming on talking about wildlife though right (laughs) always the usual it's always the usual but I wouldn't have it any other way (laughs) yeah good stuff now it's um just about to kick off into September on the last day of August recording this podcast and last night I watched your brand new tv series uh Chris and Meg's Wild Summer I really enjoyed it how was that to film Thank you. Um, To be honest, it was so much fun. It was really, really enjoyable to film. I mean, all shoots are great fun to do because you get to go to some incredible places. And hopefully, if the wildlife plays ball, sometimes it doesn't, you get to see some amazing, amazing things. Um, And we couldn't believe our luck with this trip, with this journey, to be honest, because I think up until episode five, I had a 100% success rate on everything that we aim to see. So everything showed up, Every actually bar one thing, uh, but we don't mention it, it was, very, it was very painful. It was very painful what didn't show up, but you have to watch it to find out what didn't. Right. <laughs> and so other than that one individual species, which is elusive anyway, um, I saw everything. Uh, Chris I, Chris didn't see, he, I saw a red squirrel and he didn't, which was brilliant because normally he's... Oh dear. <laughs> so we were really incredibly lucky with the wildlife. So from that front, it was fantastic. The weather couldn't have been better. Um, and it was just so much fun I and mean, we would get to the end of the day and I turned to our wonderful director Joe and just said Joe did you actually get anything because the thing about this series is it's totally unscripted normally when we go into a shoot we've got a mission we've got facts to hit we've got you know a story to tell but with this it's kind of just Chris and I doing our thing so I turned to Joe and go like did you really get any of that and he's like absolute gold and it's just Chris and I you know bickering or talking about the wildlife in front of us things that we'd normally do because it really is just us so it's quite yeah. a personal series in many ways I think yeah, it's very real and it's uh, it's kind of like plodding around and uh, kind of discovering what you come across on the way, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we've got some mission, you know, we know what we want to go and see the day before or we surprise each other with various different activities or things that we want to go and do, sometimes in our comfort zone, sometimes outside of our comfort zone. Um, and yeah, it's really just kind of a journey throughout England, Wales and Scotland um, having a look at some of the gems of wildlife that we've got in terms of, you know, UK wildlife, but also in terms of cultural sites. We went to visit lots of castles, um, lots of places with historic relevance. Um, so it really was kind of a real mixture of very different things. I think we started off with quite a wildlife aim, particularly in episode one, but we do broaden it out to talk about, at times, some difficult conversations. You know, we talk about neurodiversity. Obviously, people know Chris very well as being Asperger's. Um, I'm quite severely dyslexic, so we talk about the differences in the way that we approach science and the way that we approach, you know, people and our environment. 
Um, we talk about modern families. You know, I, I grew up with, you need my map to work out my family. And we speak about, you know, how different it is perhaps from when Chris grew up and what their expectations are of family life today and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's a bit more than just wildlife. It's hopefully got a bit of a, a kind of a deeper flavour to it as well. Yeah, it's like a personal kind of story as well as just being kind of fact-based and, and wildlife-based, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's got some facts in there, you know, Norwegian London, for example. You yeah. Go watch it to figure out what that was. Did um, I, I, I learned about the Norwegian Lund Hund last night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I never knew such a thing existed, but there we go. Uh, not entirely relevant to the puffins we were looking at, but that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, I liked your, your dig back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was really great fun to film and um, yeah, a brilliant series that I hope people are going to really enjoy. Cool, cool. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but just um, for anyone listening that's kind of not familiar with your background and things, tell us a little bit about your sort of background and why you studied zoology and then maybe your journey into TV presenting as well. So I started off very early. I met Chris when I was two years old. So wildlife was very much part and parcel of growing up. It was kind of everything that I did in my bedroom. I had every kind of animal that you could probably imagine. I mean, I had all the cute fluffy stuff. I had the guinea pigs, the gerbils, the poodles, obviously. Um, But I also had praying mantises, cockroaches, tortoise, tarantula, you name it, snake. You know, I I probably had it at one point or another. If it was a familiar story, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. My room is kind of like this kind of miniature sanctuary for all kinds of wildlife that we could possibly have. so, you know, that was kind of home life. And then when I wasn't at school, I'd be out in the woods. I'd be out, you know, either joining Chris on film shoots or out traveling somewhere. I was really fortunate to be traveling from a really early age and get to go to some amazing places. Um, so I was kind of exposed to wildlife just all around from very, very young. And I always knew that it would be a big part of what I do, but I never really considered a scientific career, if I'm honest. Um, particularly when I was at school, because as I said earlier, I am quite dyslexic and I was actually told by one of my teachers that I would never be able to be a scientist. So I kind of cut cut that dream off quite early on. I just didn't think I was capable of doing it because I'm awful at maths, so bad at maths. And I'm so bad, you know, when it comes to certain patterns and things, it turns out I'm not actually bad at it. I just have a very different way of learning it. Um, So it took me a while to kind of get to grips with how I learn science. And it took me little while I got some kind of extra support and everything and changed my kind of career I suppose career goals and that was when I started working at the Isle of Wight Sanctuary which housed um now they house um all ex-circus and ex-pet trade animals and I totally fell in love with 400 tigers and I spent every weekend every summer every possible minute second day month by these four cats side um, and I kind of grew up alongside them. We were kind of of a similar age. Unfortunately, they've passed away now. But um, it was because of those four cats, really, that I said, no, actually, I, I want to work in conservation. I want to work doing this. And I had no idea I'd go into the media. Um, and I started working in volunteer placements as much as I could. So every summer. Um, and I really focused on kind of the legal wildlife trade and rehabilitation. So I went and lived in China for a while. And I was working um, with vets out there and behavioural ecologists out there when we were rehabilitating bears that had been rescued from the bear bar farming industry um, and then went and worked with rehabilitating cheetahs that had been poisoned and shot at and various different reasons in Namibia um, and were being released back into a kind of a conservation area. Um, so I kind of went around and studied as much as I possibly could. I went and did a shark into all this kind of stuff. 
that you know as much practical experience as I could possibly fit in and then kind of did my degree and um when I kind of got back from working with bears a friend of mine who was currently working at the BBC gave me a call and she said we've got this series it's called Undercover Tourist um we've got a story that's just fallen through and we need another story as soon as possible have you got any ideas and I said just got back from China and um, you know and I've never been to a <laughs> Good farm timing. it was brilliant timing it was brilliant timing um I'd never been to a farm at that point and I got to go when we were filming for Undercover Tourists we went and filmed the Bear Bar Farms in Vietnam and it was harrowing it was really really mm. harrowing to see and really quite difficult um so that was kind of my first presenting job I think we filmed that in 2017 and then I've been doing presenting kind of ever since really yeah yeah. And one of the things, I guess, um, that really put you in front of a lot of people was um, what you and Chris did of your own bats, really, at the start of the pandemic with the self-isolating bird club, right? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere, really. <laughs> Where did it come from? Um, well, I think, you know, I moved in with Chris at the start of lockdown because we did you know, some campaigns together and we thought it would be easier to be in the same place so that we could continue to work. So I moved in and um, we were kind of sat there, I don't know, twiddling our thumbs a little bit during the day. And then the following day, we noticed a patch of celandines, these wooden flowers, suddenly came out. And I, I remember I was upstairs in my bedroom and I looked out the bedroom window and Chris was there on his phone. And I was like, what, what is he doing? He's FaceTime, he's doing something today. And it turns out he was actually streaming the patch of celandines live on Facebook. Anyway, within okay. a week, we were doing it together and we were kind of going and finding wild flowers we were finding birds we were finding whatever we could to talk about and just to showcase you know a bit of the natural world on to platforms youtube and um, twitter facebook so that people could enjoy it as much as we were i mean we were really lucky and fortunate to be locked down in the middle of the new forest we had you know a lot of space to explore and connect with nature and we're critically aware of probably a, a lot of people stuck you know in tower blocks or stuck in city centres, unable to reach the same places and see the same things that we were seeing. So we wanted to kind of lighten things up a little bit and showcase a little bit of natural wonder. Um, and it quickly turned into a bit of a community. We've got Fabian Harrison and Kate Crocker on board and it turned into this like miniature production. And we started doing yeah. it every day. I think, you know, we did over a hundred hours live. You know, I think we did initially two episodes a day, then one episode a day, then we had weekends off towards the end because we got a bit exhausted after broadcasting every <laughs> You're getting burnt week. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it just turned into this most amazing community of people who were either connecting with each other over a new interest for nature and the environment or had rekindled love that they once had as a child. And it was amazing because everybody was posting photos and videos and everything. And just to see people connecting when actually people were so disconnected at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it happened? I saw it definitely, you know, with Ealing Wildlife Group, the amount of posts were going up on there on Facebook. And, you know, I did a few, again, kind of live things as well, where people were tuned in and saying, oh, do it again, do it again. Why do you think people did kind of uh, connect so much with nature at that time? Was it because they really needed it? Because we were only getting, you know, one hour of exercise a day and everything in the, in the start? Or do you think it was to do with the kind of mental health benefits and the healing power of nature or all of the above? Definitely all of the above. I mean, we know yeah. that spending time outdoors has massive benefits for our mental and physical health. You know, even just taking a walk outside today, I felt much better. And I know we're still in, you know, in a pandemic um, or epidemic now. I don't, I don't remember. It's so confusing <laughs> what's ever going on in the news. But we're still obviously, you know, with coronavirus still around. Um, but it wasn't quite as much as stressful, I suppose, as it was then. 
And so I think, mm. yeah, it, it did have major, major benefits for people's mental health, but I also think it provided a bit of escapism. You know, people yeah. were able to take a step outside their front door and realise, okay, the world is actually still spinning. The birds are still singing. The bees are buzzing. Things are still continuing in some form of normality in terms of our environment. And I think that provided a lot of comfort to people. Um, but also this kind of idea that we weren't as busy as we were. You know, we weren't rushing out the door. If you've got kids trying to get them out the door, if you've got to go to work, meetings or you know, get the train, you know, we weren't stressed in that way. We had more time on our hands. So I think mm. we kind of went outside in our gardens and we started looking at things in a different way. We started, you know, seeing the beauty and the things that we'd walked past probably a hundred times and never noticed before because we had that mind space we had time and we had energy to go and look and actually appreciate you know we weren't just looking we were seeing we weren't just hearing but we were listening it's quite a cheesy quote but yeah. you know it's that kind of thing that we were not just kind of observing but we were really connecting and I think people once they had connected realized wow I feel so much better for doing this let's do it more and that's what I hope people will continue to do as you know restrictions continue to ease and things start getting back to some sort of normality whatever that normality normal like. <laughs> yeah yeah i found actually just disconnecting from the computer screen you know and walking away and putting my phone in my pocket instead of walking around with it in my hand you know catching up on social media stuff it yeah. does make you look at things it makes you notice things a lot more doesn't it exactly exactly one thing i always try to do for five minutes on every walk is just to sit down put everything away yeah. and just sit because then you notice like the bushes come alive and the trees come alive with birds and you start seeing things otherwise if you're walking you still you, your brain's too busy processing that information so it doesn't pick up the little details um whereas if you just sit, sit and stop it's amazing what you start to notice yeah for sure for sure we heard lots of that um what about kind of you know mental health and um eco anxiety we hear about all the time and you know, um, we've connected on on the likes of social media. There's a lot of young conservationists, really passionate conservationists now that I see on the likes of Instagram and Twitter, you know, campaigning and championing nature and um, wildlife and the environment. Um, but we do see a lot of eco-anxiety as well. Do you think that, you know, social media is, obviously it's helping these communities come together and it's helping conservationists talk to their tribes and things, but do you think sometimes it can be a double-edged sword that this kind of, echo chamber we're all in is maybe doom and gloom a lot of the time or we're all kind of have eco anxiety together and are making it worse perhaps yeah absolutely i think things are shared more easily obviously it's just one button and things are shared across the world for anybody to see um it is definitely a double-edged sword with social media it's such a valuable and important tool for conservation and growing those communities but it's also something to just you know really kind of take note on how you're using it um Mm. and how you want to feel at the same time you know i think the media coverage of you know the massive disasters that we've seen you know whether that's the wildfires the drought the flooding you know we're seeing more of those images now than we would have done 10 15 20 years ago simply because of that share button on social media you know those things weren't happening yeah. then as much as they are now because of obviously climate change but things you know the disasters and bad things are being shared much more easily but that being said so are the good things as well so, you know, you've got to really kind of hang on to the good things, notice the bad, learn from the bad, talk about the bad, because we, we need to face those bad things head on. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you need a break, take a step back. Don't say, don't worry about, you know, signing off social media for a little while. That would be my biggest thing. You know, sometimes if I feel a bit bogged down by it, I just take a couple of days, 
and I just don't log on. I don't log on. And it makes me feel so much better because I think sometimes you need to kind of reconnect yourself a little bit because it is a lot of doom and gloom. Um, and you can kind of fall into a, a pit trap quite easily. Um, but that's why I think I'm so grateful for the community that's also on it because sometimes loving what we do so passionately, loving wildlife, loving the environment can feel incredibly isolating. You can feel like you're fighting a massive battle on your own and having connected with like-minded people, you realise very quickly that you aren't and you might not live next door to one another. You might be frustrated with your neighbours because they're putting in artificial lawn or they're doing something you know, horrific for the environment and you feel yeah. alone and you feel like you're on an island. But actually, you know, you come on social media and there's people that are the same as you wanting to achieve the same things as you and willing to have those conversations. So for me, whilst it is it does have its negatives, you know, the positives are brilliant, but you just have to learn how to use it without the detriment to your own mental health. And that, I think, takes time. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I'm far from it. I get down, you know, sometimes seeing things. But that's the state of the world we live yeah. in at the moment is that it's not it isn't all, you know, rainbows and birds and bees and butterflies it's kind of no absolutely not but yeah yeah (laughs) i see the pressure people put themselves under though sometimes on on social media and i'm definitely you know the same as you that if there's too much or there's been too much going on or too much like social media noise in my head and i've been you know on the phone six hours that day i'm like put it away go out for a walk you know put it down um but i see people putting pressure on themselves or coming back after a break and be like i'm so sorry i was gone and I'm really sorry I had to take a break. And I always say, don't apologize. Just yeah. take the break. It should, exactly. People shouldn't feel under pressure to do that, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, it depends what field you're in. I mean, for me, I, I definitely feel a pressure to post frequently, you know, because I have to kind of communicate with the audience that I'm trying to build, trying to build an audience. Ultimately, trying to build a platform so that I can hand it over to other people to share their stories. You know, mm. the people that really are at the forefront of conservation or the people that are really struggling in the face of the climate. You know, I'd love to build a platform to hand over to them so that they can get their word out. Um, so for me, I feel like pressure in order to post every day to keep building that platform, to keep building that momentum. Um, and I think, you know, it can it can get overwhelming. It can get too much. Are you posting the right thing? Are people going to respond okay to this? Is this the right message? Um, because people are incredibly sensitive. You know, social media can be a bad place if you post the wrong thing. Um, and I think, mm. you know, it, in some ways it's got too sensitive. Um, in other ways, it hasn't got sensitive enough. So it's really is yeah. kind of a juggling act in many different ways. It's not. It's really not easy. Um, but yeah, if you ever feel, need to take a break, never feel guilty about it. I mean, I certainly don't. When I need a break, I'm just, you know, I've learned that I, ha- I have to. When I get to that point, you have to just take a step back and take a breather. And that's okay to do it. Absolutely, yeah. Also, I think the thing that um, can happen, and especially now, people are, annoyed and angry and frustrated and it seems like there's just way more like sniping and kind of um cattiness or criticism around social media just it's not at this point in time i think people are just done with the whole pandemic they're done with lockdowns they want to get back to normal and um, yeah. there seems to be a lot more kind of infighting or even cruelty on social media you know people not agreeing with each other and being quite horrible to each other isn't there yeah definitely i think exactly that is due to a lot of frustration and a lot of anger about the state of the world i mean you just have to go on bbc news website and it's disaster it's horrible it's really really Mm. nasty and i think we kind of we've kind of crossed that line in knowing how to communicate effectively our different opinions without getting personal 
many people yeah. these days confuse that and get personal rather than giving a constructive thought or a constructive criticism. And there's a very big difference. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, if you are online, you know, you do have to be, be kind, you know, be kind of, there's a person at the other end of that account, you know, that's a real human being there. And I guarantee you they're reading the comments, you know, no matter how many followers they've got, I guarantee you they're probably reading the comments. So just, you know, be cautious and be kind to people because everyone's struggling. Everyone's frustrated. Everybody, you know, wants to get back out there and get maybe, a, maybe a new kind of normal or more environmentally friendly normal is what I'd like, but you know, we might we all want to get there. Um, so just you know, be t- more tolerant of one another. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I notice a big difference now. Like I previously interviewed a guy who um, shoots deer, calls deer, um, kind of overpopulated deer on farmland and things, and he describes himself as a conservationist. And I did a, a podcast with him probably about a year, year and a half ago, and I posted it on my Instagram, and you know, it was all quite constructive chat with all kinds of you know viewpoints it was vegans on there saying you know well you know if you're going to eat meat actually that's high welfare meat and the animal has you know lived a natural life etc etc yeah but this time around um i posted it again recently um it kicked off in the comments you know i just think people are sort of at a low boil at the moment and they're just like really really frustrated and ready to kick off on certain things it's interesting isn't it it really does matter the timing in which you post things but i mean it's that's an important conversation to have and one that yeah we do feel emotive about um but you know it's sustainable shooting for you know for ecological reasons i have to say we don't have predators in the uk what else is there to do we have too many deer um, it's a shame yeah. I would never pick up a gun in my life. I'd never want to hurt any animal. I couldn't, I, I couldn't physically bring myself to do it. Um, but obviously there are people that can. And for, you know, I, I live in the new forest and it's all decimated. It's got, I mean, the deer are just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And they do cull them in this area. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, and it's getting slowly better, but you know, for the, for the benefit of not on, you know, national nature reserves and our national parks and for other wildlife you know, it kind of needs to happen. Or we, you know, the other controversial opinion is where are the predators? We bring some of those back. Well, I was just going to say, shall we Shall we go off on a tangent and say, <laughs> you know, well, we bring back the lynx, bring back the wolves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm all in for it. Let's say that. <laughs> okay. Do you think it will happen in our lifetime? Um, I'd, I'd probably be a very, very old one. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, definitely, certainly not wolves and bears. Maybe I might be a very, very old woman. I hope lynx, I hope lynx would happen in my life. I'd hope so. I think links will happen. Yeah. I'd hope so. You know, we're just getting Fingers crossed. Leaders, so. And beavers are back already, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're getting there. Definitely definitely coming getting back. There. You know, still controversial yeah. for some, but we're getting there. I know. We're uh, we're talking about bringing beavers back to Ealing. So, uh, yeah, watch this space. That would be very exciting. Beavers back in the capital would be great, wouldn't it? We love that. The more beavers the yeah, better. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I recently enjoyed, um, I've been buying books left, right and centre because there's so many good books coming out at the moment. And obviously I was one of those ones. Oh, I'll have loads of time during the pandemic. So I bought like, you know, piles of books and I haven't read half of them. But um, I also invested in an audio app, you know, many available, no particular one recommended. But I listened to your book uh, that you wrote with Chris um, while I was driving in the car recently. Um, Really, really pleasantly surprised by it i knew it would be good but i thought what i took from it was really inspiring in terms of taking action and you know doing things and very much kind of a call to action to get involved with 
conservation and um, climate change and, and biodiversity loss and things. So um, can you tell us just a little bit about where that came from? I'm sure it's been kind of brewing as an idea with you and Chris for a long time, has it? No, well, it was pretty, it happened pretty fast, if I'm honest. Um, so Did we it? finished self-isolating bird club. Um, we got to the end of Springwatch and we were approached by publishers that said, do you want to do a book together? And um, our fabulous publishers, they're two, two roads publishing. They kind of had the idea of something based around SIBC and we wanted something with a real purpose, but based on you know the community that we built. So Chris and I very quickly came up with this idea of a book where we talk about conservation in the UK, the environment in the UK, fundamentally. Um, but we talk about the different levels in which people can take part in that conservation so initially it starts off quite locally what you can do as an individual then what you can do as a community what you can do um, you know in your local nature reserves and then building up into the bigger issues in terms of politics and activism um so it kind of builds up in a step-by-step process i suppose it's quite i'd say challenging at times because it's it's a very honest and perhaps very critical account of what is happening in in our countryside um some kind of hard truths in there but in amongst all of that, I try to kind of remind people about why we're fighting for what we're fighting for. So I put nuggets of kind of really amazing, mind-blowing science in there to kind of just make you go, wow, that's incredible. Who knew that butterflies had wing, uh, hearts in their wings? Who knew yeah. that you know, dragonflies had that many lenses in their eyes and could see an ultra colour? I mean, what is ultra colour? I mean, I can't, we, can't, we can't even imagine what ultra colour is. And um, so, you know, it's all these kind of, amazing kind of gems of incredible science but mixed in with some really hard kind of topics and debates you know talking about uh, reintroductions rewilding um and and lots of different kind of stuff it's a lot crammed into a book i have to say um but you know i'm glad what you took out of it was action because that was kind of the purpose is getting people to feel motivated enough to do something it doesn't have to be big but something you know yeah yeah because I think we can all we can all get bogged down and we can all feel, you know, pessimistic or my little voice isn't going to make a difference, you know, to these big topics. And there's sort of a sense sometimes of like, you know, if everyone just, you know, sorted that out or, you know, I'm not going to make a little a difference on my own. But I think, mm-hmm. yeah, the takeaway message really is everyone can do something small or big to kind of um, get things done. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It is just that I think one of the most toxic kind of ideologies that we have in our heads is this idea that I'm only one person what could I do to make a difference because ultimately that's just an excuse to carry on as normal and we know you know look at the news normal is not okay you know we are not living in a healthy environment and we need that healthy environment to sustain wildlife to sustain ourselves um so yeah the idea is that everybody can do something you know it only takes one person to start a movement you don't want to think that big you can you know wake up tomorrow and think okay maybe i'll have one meatless day okay maybe i will walk or cycle or get the bus to work or maybe you know you wake up tomorrow and do one thing different than the day that you did before buy a reusable water bottle it doesn't matter what the thing is but just wake up tomorrow and do something anything differently um you know yeah. and celebrate the small things as well and remember you don't have to be perfect a lot of people say to me well you know i would do this but then now I do this as well and I'm not really willing to give that up or you know that it's just like you don't have to be perfect I'm certainly not as a living organism on this planet we are having an impact that's you know a matter of fact and you know I, I try and reduce my impact as much as possible but it doesn't mean to say I couldn't be doing more because I definitely could every person could be doing more um so celebrate the small things don't feel like you have to be perfect and just 
start you know start small and work your way up and build your confidence in it um and and don't be afraid to kind of reclaim the word activist is what i'd say because this word for some i think has a negative connotation to but actually for me i wear it as a kind of a badge of pride if you if you feed the birds in my opinion you're active in your environment therefore you're an activist if you put a hedgehog highway in then you are an activist if you you know go out and join um a protest then you're definitely an activist you know whatever activism means to you that's what matters but just do something yeah yeah i think some people shy away from the kind of um active activism or you know going out and kind of even lobbying the government or going on a protest and things like that because they're nervous of conflict maybe they're also probably nervous of um making enemies or having backlash with people with different viewpoints that's something that i I definitely know you know from following chris for a long time he's had to deal with a lot of horrible stuff uh coming his way because of his um viewpoints and his um kind of being outspoken on certain issues have you had any of that kind of backlash as well or is it something you shy away from or I don't I don't shy away from it I think you know in order to make progress we have to sometimes be bold and yeah sometimes you know we have we have to say things that sometimes people don't always want to hear um but we're not saying it to you know annoy anyone we're you know simply saying it to start a conversation you know to mm. start a conversation about some sort of change um so yeah you know sometimes depending on what what I'm talking about, you know, there can be a bit of a negative backlash. But for me, you know, human beings don't like changing their minds. And when you ask them to change their mind about something that they're not ready to change, then there is sometimes resistance. But, you know, the things, you know, that I've given up that I love doing, but I don't do anymore. um, You know, I always have this idea that, you know, with new science coming out all the time, every single day, you know, it's hard, but I have to try and challenge myself to like reflect on what I'm doing and think, okay, am I doing the right thing? And how can I change? How can I evolve with this ever-growing fountain of knowledge that's coming out of our, you know, scientists that are researching the very latest on all these kind of losses and catastrophes that our natural world is seeing? And I think, you know, we just have to be aware of our own behaviour. You know, sometimes look inward on ourselves, and I think people struggle doing that because sometimes looking inward isn't an easy thing to do um it's, it certainly isn't at times and to, uh, to hold your hands up and say oh I was doing something bad that I shouldn't have been doing you know it's bad I remember a couple of years ago I took a flight to Glasgow you know and I, I would like now I've never do that I'm not taking any kind of internal flights around the UK um but yeah. a couple of years ago I did it and I feel awful about it now you know I've recently been up in Scotland I've just been to the Hebrides and it took it was a 12-hour drive <laughs> but you know it was still only yeah. 12 hours and it actually you know a few bit of music a few car games passes home way perfectly yeah yeah i've battled with that recently i'm uh i'm going down to cornwall soon but i'm like i'm, I'm driving i'll just make it work i'll get up super early and i'll go like i'm not going to fly to cornwall yeah but i did do something that i'm really not proud of megan what did you do i bought plastic succulent plants oh. and i'm like don't buy plastic plants, da, da, da. but I had this, uh, in my bathroom, there's no natural light. And someone was like, oh, just buy plastic ones. And I was always like, no, no, I'm not buying plastic ones. Yeah. I'm not buying plastic ones. And I saw these realistic plastic ones and I thought, do you know what? I'll have them for a long time. And I bought them. And now every time I look at them, I'm like, you idiot, <laughs> you bought plastic plants. This is totally against everything you stand for. What are you doing? So 
I have shame now every time I walk no, into my bathroom. No, but like you say, <laughs> that's something you're going to be using for a long time. You know, it's not like a disposable single use or anything. So that's something you can give and you can give your friends and they can be passed down for generations and it can sit in other people's dark bathrooms looking pretty. Thank you. You're very <laughs> kind. But no, I'm like really annoyed with myself. Yeah. So there's a little confession that I've had. We're not perfect. No, we sometimes make not. decisions. You know, yeah. I, do, I do stuff like that all the time. I think, God, I need to buy that, you know. I know. Do I really need, then I really need that new top. Did I probably not, you know, really? Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, know, about, it's about but... being critical. The fact that you're having, you know, this thought and kind of self-reflecting and stuff, you know, it's something, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, in the book, you go into quite a bit of detail because you spent a lot of time with um, Extinction Rebellion. Um, and they're quite a kind of controversial to some uh, group in terms of their methods and their motivations. Um, what was your kind of takeaway with spending so much time with them well I actually initially got involved with them because I made a documentary about them for Al Jazeera I kind of went um to all their training camps I got trained in how to get arrested and how to do civil how to be civilly disobedient basically um, yeah so it was, it was quite it was quite quite a lot of fun <laughs> being a bit disobedient being a bit naughty um but that was all just training and stuff I didn't actually kind of I, I have been to many kind of extinction rebellion protests um I've never got arrested I've never or paint anywhere I've never participated in anything quite like that I've, I've carried a few you know like coffins and things like that down the street <laughs> bits and pieces yeah um to be honest you when you're in the middle of a, an XR protest you really get the sense of community you know it is one of the most uh inclusive and happy bizarrely happy because obviously you're you're talking about something that's you know not very happy um experiences really everybody is so friendly and so welcoming and you know you're not pushed to do anything that you don't want to do you don't you know people think if you join xr that you have to go and get arrested and that is just not the case whatsoever there's many ways of kind of supporting it from from afar i have to say you know more recently i haven't been as involved with xr as i would have been i think you know xr is brilliant on many levels absolutely brilliant on many levels that you know when they came in at the right time they did it absolutely wonderfully they created these conversations that otherwise people just weren't having whether you like them or not people were sat at home in their living rooms mm. going what are they doing what are they thinking but then they ended up why have they shut the down london exactly but then they started talking about the climate so ultimately it worked it did work it yeah. got people thinking and it did get people talking whether you agree with their methods or not and, you know, someone posed this question to me and it actually really stuck with me is, you know, at what point does it come ethical? Uh, at what point, sorry, does it come moral to break the law if that law is unethical? So, mm. you know, there's a lot of areas in that question, I think, that you could explore. Um, and I think, you know, if something is unethical, if a law is unethical, it doesn't necessarily mean we should be continuing to abide by it, especially when it comes to the kind of fossil fuel industry and subsidies and the way that we treat our environment and the wildlife within it. So, yeah, it did, you know, hit home in a lot of places for me joining XR for the time that I did. And I still very much support a lot of what they do. And um, the thing about XR is that they are a decentralized movement. And that essentially means that nobody is in charge. There's no hierarchical system. Anyone can yeah. join in and you can basically create actions and use XR name. So basically, you know, a lot of people might not agree. So if I went in and I had this ridiculous idea to, I don't know, well, let's use the example that I didn't agree with. So unfortunately, some protesters, not all of XR, but some protesters did go to David Attenborough's house and protest on his lawn. Now, if I came up with that idea, oh, right. 
if I came up with that idea and said, oh, this is what I want to do, they could all say, oh, I'm not sure that that's a brilliant idea, but I could still do it under Exile's name because it's decentralized. So unfortunately, movements and actions like that, as well as, um, you know, there's a couple of things getting on top of trains and various different things that just weren't quite on the mark, if I'm honest. And, you know, I think a lot of people yeah. in Exile would also agree. Um that that wasn't quite that seems like a bit of an own goal doesn't it yeah it wasn't it wasn't the smartest decision it wasn't the best thing to do um so for me there's a lot of support that i do have for xr and a lot of love for the people that are really at the heart of it you know a lot of the founders i think are some of the most amazing and intelligent people i've ever met in my life i have to i have to admit a lot of them are ex-professors ex-lecturers they've got you know phds these are really really smart people doing this you know, they're mm. really very intelligent um, and they're kind of portrayed as something different on, on social media, probably because of actions like going and protesting at David Attenborough's house, which I don't, I don't know who came up with that idea, but it wasn't good. Um, so, yeah, for that reason, I kind of I still support definitely, you know, a lot of what they do, but I'm you know, more cautious, shall we say. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but it has inspired other kind of activism and other groups to pop up as well. Um, yeah. Tell us about Animal Rebellion. That was something that you had up your sleeves, right? Or Wildlife Rebellion. Wildlife Rebellion, Wildlife sorry. Wildlife Rebellion, yeah. yeah. So one of the things with XR, obviously, is that a lot of the groups, you know, you can go and get arrested and, you know, be civilly disobedient, which I happen to think is brilliant. It's the same strategy as the civil rights movement. It's the same as women's rights, all of this kind of stuff, suffragettes. Um, so it's really, you know, XR only really ever harness the tactics that have worked so well in history. Um, so everyone kind of talks about it as if this is a new strategy, you know, going and sitting on the streets peacefully and democratically, you know, singing, music, whatever it might be, this little festival, I would call it a festival with a purpose. A lot of their big London demonstrations are a festival with a purpose. Um, and then a lot of people can opt in to get arrested if they wish to do so. You're warned by the police, so the police have to give you one warning. Um, and if you don't abide by that, then, then you can be arrested. Um, we came up with the idea of Wildlife Rebellion because we wanted to highlight the biodiversity crisis and the biodiversity loss as much as climate loss, uh, climate change and yeah. um, a lot of the other kind of human rights elements that were coming out of XR at the time. And we felt there was this kind of gap with no one was really talking about biodiversity. Mm. And we also wanted to kind of make, it was kind of like a family-friendly activism group. Um, so everything with Wildlife Rebellion was going to be uh, non-arrestable. So it would be lots of actions that we'd be pre-planned and pre-approved so you wouldn't get arrested for taking part in them. But they would still definitely have a cheeky side, shall we say. They would still be a little bit naughty, so it would feel like you were doing something. Treading that line, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Being naughty, but not being too naughty. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, the idea was that it would be good for people that wanted to get involved in activism, that really wanted to join XR, but were a little bit fearful or a little bit unsure um, about Mm. the methods. And and they could come to us and help us highlight biodiversity loss. Um, and whether they build their confidence up and get to know XR and join XR, then that's brilliant. Um, you know, or whether they kind of want to come along with the kids for a day out, you know, dropping seed bombs and arrows that they shouldn't really. But what's the worst that can happen is the beautiful flowers. A bit of gorilla gardening. You can't beat it. <laughs> exactly. Some gorilla gardening. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the premise for it. But unfortunately, we launched the day that lockdown one was announced. Mm. So we were kind of head in our hands thinking, oh, we've got these actions, we're ready to go. I mean, we were literally about to click go um, and we had to put a pause in it. And as of yet, we haven't relaunched just just yet. I think we are kind of ready to go and waiting um, for, for the right time, I think, when people are ready for it. Because obviously 
you know, we can't go and have a kind of a very targeted government campaign when the government was at the time incredibly preoccupied with the coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, yeah. you have to choose your time wisely. And like you said earlier, people on social media have a short tolerance at the moment. And it's kind of choosing the right time to launch something. It's okay, I think, when something's already been launched and has already kind of been established. Um, but we wanted to kind of wait to establish ourselves until there was more of a, I don't know, as we say. More of an appetite or more time exactly. to consider we're things. More ready yeah. to take part in that kind of thing again. And I think we're getting there. I think we're pretty close, hopefully. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, yeah, the book was great. Um, really, uh, kudos on that. I, I enjoyed it on my travels. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much. I'm glad. It, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's quite, you know, it's quite um challenging at times, but um interesting. I hope people find it. Yeah. Any more books on the horizon? Do you think? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. There might be. There might Can be. you say any more? Uh, I am working on one at the moment. Um, great. Yeah, I've been able to interview some amazing people from around the world who are really fighting on, on the very, very edge for certain species that are, you know, touch and go as to whether they'll be here in 10, 20, 50 years' time. So, um, Brilliant. yeah, that's all I'll say about it. But, um, yeah, I'm still working Good on stuff. it. It's very much a work in progress. Um, okay. Again, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Exclusive. Um, so going back to the TV show then, how many episodes are we in for? I, I watched the first one last night. But how many episodes are there? There's six altogether, six half an hour. Okay. And you've just finished the last one, right? Yeah, literally. I think um, we got we got back from shooting a couple of days ago. We had to push the last final episode, which was in the Hebrides, back a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it's a fast, fast turnaround. So everyone in the edit's doing an amazing job getting it out really quick. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was all about summer, so it's nice to have it. Obviously, we're heading into autumn now, um, but it was kind of nice to have it relatively close to the summer as much as we possibly could. So, yeah, hopefully it kind of bridges that gap a little bit for the watchers and people will enjoy a little bit of escapism wildlife whilst they wait for autumn watch to come back. Good stuff. So uh, give us the plug. It's on every Sunday evening, is it? It's on every Sunday evening at 8.30 on BBC Two and BBC iPlayer. Um, yeah, half an hour long with Chris and I just chatting absolute nonsense as usual and um, going to see some beautiful wildlife in some pretty amazing places. Yeah, yeah. I, I was quite tickled with the fact that he calls you Beast. Yes. He <laughs> what is that about? Um, so when I was little, I was mini Beast and then I grew up and I graduated to Beast. So okay. It's all just, yeah, I've always, I've always been called mini beast or beast. Um, I, right. don't, I don't really know how it originated. I think probably, you know, terrible twos or something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> good stuff. No, it was nice. It's good to see your uh, relationship and, and banter on screen as well. Yeah. Good fun. Bickering. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, what would you say, Megan, people can do? I mean, you've talked about, you know, lobbying or getting behind certain causes and things like that but do you have any top tips for people who maybe are feeling anxious about climate change or about biodiversity loss and things like that um, any practical tips on what they can do to make yeah. themselves feel better or to get involved or to make a difference definitely so you know I'd say reach out to like-minded people because really it's a very mm. welcoming community it's a wonderful place to have conversations and to kind of spark the imagination and, and, and feel motivated again and make yourself feel better so don't be afraid to reach out to people, say hello and get involved in the conversation because getting involved and getting your thoughts out there can really be a great thing. Um, and also just take the time to go and reconnect with what you love. You know, 
sometimes you have to remind yourself of what you're fighting for. So go out and take time in wildlife, put your phone away, sit down still for five minutes, whatever that might be. Um, and, you know, the things that you can do in your garden to encourage biodiversity. And we know that, you know, an increased level of biodiversity in our back gardens actually equates to a significantly higher amount of serotonin in your brain, makes you feel happy. So, you know, more, more wildlife in your garden, the happier you feel. So go in, put a hedgehog highway if you've got a CD case, if you still have one of those. I don't know that I do anymore, but if you remember what one of those looks like, um, cut out a hole that's the same size as the, uh, same size as a CD case um, in your fence. Yeah. And you can ask your neighbour first um, just to create kind of a highway for hedgehogs. It's also great for amphibians and frogs, and toads and you know everything else as well, other small mammals too. Um, you know, and then maybe just go and knock on your neighbor's door and say, like, do you mind about this hedgehog highway? And then go and knock on the next door and get them to do it. So create, you know, a huge, huge area. And a whole hedgehog street. <laughs> a hedgehog street, exactly. A wilder street, um, which is great. You know, connect with your community and start doing that because yeah. there will be like-minded people out there that aren't too far away from you that really feel and want to do the same. So, yeah, I mean, make those small changes. Wildlife ponding doesn't have to be big. A washing up bowl. There's so much that you can do. To you know, encourage yeah. wildlife into your local space and go out and experience it and just connect with those people. But also, if you are really struggling with eco anxiety, there are professionals out there that are now you know trained and you know mm. ready to help if you do need it. Yeah, great tips. I would say as well, if you don't have a garden, a window box. Just exactly. there's little things you can do, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what size you've got. If you've got a windowsill, there's always something that you can do for wildlife. Always something. Yeah. Even there's a really amazing study where um. They kind of looked at people's brains as they were watching wildlife documentaries and they found that people watching nature, even on a screen, is almost as good as seeing it in real life. Really? Yeah. It makes us feel so much better. It's not quite as good. Obviously, it's always better to be in you know, in the moment. You can see the sounds and the smells yeah. and everything else. But um, yeah, it's almost as good as watching it and being there in real life. So, you know, put on a nature documentary. Who doesn't love, right? mixture of wildlife with David Attenborough's voice I mean come on it doesn't get much better than that that doesn't make you happy I know you know total hero brilliant exactly exactly his voice is enough to make anyone smile <laughs> yeah for sure now I ask most guests I, I sometimes forget but I remember this time um to tell our listeners about three social media accounts you would recommend personally that they follow if they're interested in wildlife and nature and our environment Tricky one because there's so many, there's so many wonderful people out there. Um, I would say one of the accounts that I'm really loving at the moment, and it's about more than just wildlife, it's about kind of the environment, it's a little bit about politics, a little bit about, well, it's the state of the world, everything really. Um, I'm not sure if I can say this word on the podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's shit you should care about. <laughs> and uh, it really is stuff that you should care about. You're absolutely fine to okay. say that. But say it again because there was a little bit of a break okay. up there. It's called uh, Shit You Should Care About. And Great, I, I never it. I never like to swear, but that's the name of the account and you did ask. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I gave you special permission before that you, you can <laughs> special permission beforehand. Um and it's a really kind of interesting platform where they just share things that you really should care about and it's actually, you know, that it's all accredited and everything like that. So it's um yeah, that's an interesting one that I would say you'd have to go to. Yeah. Um, I would say another one. One of my favourite photographers, Paul Nicken, who is just unbelievable. Nat Geo photographer. He's just photos are just astounding. It's just you know, if you want some you know natural beauty on your timeline, definitely go and follow him. Um, What's his name again? Paul Nicken. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I'm making notes now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, a third one, I would say, this is tricky. This is very, very tricky. I would it's go, I'm going to follow um, Chicks for Climate. Chicks for Climate oh, yes. is good. It's um, yeah. not, just, not just for chicks, not just for women. Um, but they talk about kind of, you know, obviously climate change and a lot about kind of women in science, which is actually quite empowering as, as a woman in science myself. It's nice, you know, hearing from you know, some incredible like female leaders out there doing some really cool stuff. And you know, it's all about climate and it's really interesting. Great. Well, I'm going to follow all those three. Um, I think I do follow Paul. But uh, yeah. Yeah. He's a good, good one. stuff. Yeah. So um, what's next then? You've, you've uh, given us a, a top exclusive that there's another book in the pipeline, but anything else coming up next yeah. that you want to share? Uh, so another book in the pipeline. Um, this month in September, um, I am a spokesperson for Go Organic, which is a campaign um, all about, you know, organic September. Try and go as great as yeah. can because it's good for the soil, good for wildlife, um, good for domestic animals and good for people. So. I mean, I'm going to be talking a lot about, you know, the benefits of going organic as much as you possibly can. Um, and then, yeah, like a few more bits and pieces coming off, a few more talks and various different things, which I'll, I'll be chatting about on my social media at some point, I'm sure. Great. And your social media handle for anyone that doesn't follow you is? On Instagram, it's Megan McCubbin Wild. On Twitter, Megan McCubbin. And same as Facebook, Megan McCubbin. Perfect. Cool. Well, look, Megan, it's been really great chatting to you. Thanks for uh, taking the time. I'm sure you're bombarded at the moment with the TV show out and everything. Not at all. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. It's been great. No worries. And we'll talk soon, hopefully, in person. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Megan. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast, please do hit like and subscribe and consider giving us a review. It all helps with... Uh, promoting it to a wider audience and uh, yeah tune in again season five is shaping up to be a good one over and out from myself and megan bye